Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Amen. How many of you have ever celebrated well? Anybody? I'm going to ask for participation just by raising your hand. How many of you have ever celebrated well? All right. We've had a few. How many of you have celebrated well this week? This week there was something that you celebrated, you were excited about, you had a time of celebration. What does celebration actually mean? This is uh, somewhat rhetorical. What does celebration actually mean? What does it mean to celebrate well? In fact, what does it mean to engage in exuberant celebration? Perhaps as you think about exuberant celebration, there is a, a, a picture, an image, or a memory that comes to mind. Perhaps you think about the, 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 the time when your favorite sports team won, or when you got accepted into that school, or when you got that promotion, or perhaps when she said, I do. You think about that moment. You think, that was exuberant celebration. A number of years ago, I was coaching an upward soccer team. Let me tell you, if you ever want to celebrate, get into upward sports, because there are celebration moments all along the way. It was actually uh, quite a few years ago, my daughter was actually playing, and she is, um, this is an interesting transition for me, she's a cheerleader, and for me, going to a basketball or football game meant watching the game. Now when I go to a game, I watch the cheerleaders, or one in particular, and it is really bizarre to cheer on a cheerleader after she does a good cheer, right? People are like, why are you cheering? It's a timeout. Well, look how good she just... I don't think I'm weird. I, I, I think I'm weird enough for the both of us, I'm sure. But back then, uh, along, uh, several years ago, she wanted to try out some different sports, and she was trying soccer. And certainly at that point, I, I recognized the fact that uh, she enjoyed it. She liked running. She liked being out there with her friends. But she didn't really have this nose for the goal or this desire to win. Uh, you know, and, and, and basically, when you're in kindergarten, you normally don't have that, right, the same way that uh, your coach might. And I remember throughout the year, myself and my assistant coach decided, hey, we want every student to, or every team member to, to enjoy several things. We want them to enjoy getting some playing time, to, to have fun, each one of them to get to pray during practice or during the game. We want each kid to be able to score a goal. And we thought, that's fairly simple, right? And the, the, the season came, and, and as the, the, the games went on, each kid was finding success and all of the, the goals that we had for each one of them, so to speak. And then finally, it was interesting. We get to the last game, and I looked down the list, and I kind of had a checklist of who's done what, and I recognized that my daughter is the only one that hasn't scored a goal. And there are a number of reasons for that. One, she was more invested in having a conversation with the other team while the game was going on. Or trying to get things ready for snack after the game before it was time to be done than she was actually kicking the ball around. And I remember thinking, okay, we got to try to get her a goal. And I remember putting her up front saying, okay, we're just going to kind of put her in the front, put her up there, and maybe, maybe something will happen, some kind of fluke accident. Maybe a ball will bounce off of her and go into the goal. Something might happen. And as the game went on, I was fasting and praying the whole time. And I remember, and 
I mean, there's no running clock, there's no clock you can see, but I remember like this intense countdown of just the last minute or so, and I thought, oh man, she's not going to get a goal. And I, I remember the ball kind of trickled up close to the front, and she's standing right in front of the goal, and, and, and at that age group, there's not even goalies, and so it's just a wide open goal, and she's standing there, the ball is in front of her, and it just kind of trickled out in front, and I just remember seeing her foot go forward, and it hit the ball. And the ball rolled, almost looked like it was going backwards. It was so slow. And it rolled and went over the line. And we all looked at each other like, what just happened? <laughs> and when I finally realized she scored a goal, you would have thought that we just won the World Cup. I jumped up and down. I was screaming. I was excited. I was in an exuberant celebration. Even now as I think about that, man, that was a really fun thing that God gave us. Just so small. You know, and you think about praying about small things and you think God doesn't really care about this. And it was like, God gave me this little thing. He said, here's this tiny little thing that you'll enjoy. And I remember that celebration moment. And it's interesting to note that sometimes in life, maybe large or small things, that it, are, it, are, it is the celebration moments, the things that we can celebrate that God has given us, the things that we just sang about. And perhaps while we sing, and you do, maybe do the same thing I do from time to time, where you think about the ways that God has provided. You think about the ways that you recognize that we live in our Father's world. And as we kind of walk through that, we recognize the fact that God has been faithful in the past. And as he continues forward, it springs forth this cycle or this continued process of celebration. We celebrate the things that God has done. We recognize the fact that he continues to move and that celebration becomes this cyclical, contagious thing where we just are always celebrating, always living a life full of joy, loving God and loving others because of the way that he's moved and he's changed. Celebration is, is a way of engaging in action that orients the spirit towards worship, towards praise, towards thanksgiving. When we celebrate, we, we are oriented towards, we're focused on the God, the creator, the one that has given us the opportunity to be able to experience life. It's delighting all of our attention, our never-ending presence towards the Trinity that, that, that fuels celebration itself. God literally celebrates. God is actually the one who invented celebration. He invented delight. He invented joy. He invented this opportunity for us to experience celebration in him. But sadly, in the world that we live, celebration has been diminished. Celebration, in a lot of ways, has been forgotten. As we finalize this series today on spiritual disciplines, we finalize with this last forgotten discipline, one that's not only forgotten in the world, but it's also in many cases and in many ways forgotten within the context of the church. And I don't just mean CCWC, but I mean in the family of God, a lot of times we find ourselves in a place where we're complaining or about this, or we're mad about this thing going on either inside or outside the church. We're focused elsewhere and we forget the fact that God is good, God is present, God is full of love, and because of that we can and should celebrate. It's forgotten because we live in a world that's taught us to be discouraged, taught us to be distraught, to be ungrateful, to be uninterested in the things of God. It's also forgotten because we retune, re, re, uh, re I can't think of the word, routinely, there we go, we routinely engage in the elements of celebration while minimizing the actual purpose of gathering, of feasting, of giving, of splurging of all the things that are outward signs of celebration. We live in a world where it's easy to feast. It's easy to have a big meal, but 
really forget about the reality that the, the meal itself was intentionally given to us in the beginning as an opportunity to indicate a celebration of who God is and what he's done in our life. Instead, we sit down, we have a big meal, we move on to the next thing, perhaps even not even stopping looking at a screen or, or even stopping to think about the reality of what it means to celebrate and to celebrate well. For the Israelites, the year of Jubilee was a celebration of, of gracious provision of God, the recognition that God provides all, he gives all, he engages all, this carefree spirit of, of joyous festivities in the absence of contemporary society, it, it, it's gone. It's, it's the crime of, of all of it is that celebration that brings joy to life and celebration that makes us strong is totally forgotten and totally left out and has been celebrated from, or has been separated from the one that we should celebrate most, which is God. In celebrating the things of this world and celebrating the things around us, we forget about the fact that the giver, the one who loves us, the one who created us, is where celebration should be focused. Celebration is actually central to all spiritual disciplines. Because without a joyful spirit of the disciplines, they would actually just become dull tools of modern Pharisees, disciplines that are simply just action rather than a heart change. I have a friend that um, popularized, in my mind, the concept of a birthday week. Anybody ever heard of birthday week? Birthday week, in my friend's mind, is a situation where every single day of the week celebrates the birth of my friend. And let me just say, that that's a, a real thing. I mean, obviously you have a birthday, but there is a week to which you were born. Matter of fact, there's a month, there's a year. You, you could do celebration decade, right? <laughs> I remember specifically having a conversation with my friend whose birthday had just passed. Actually, it's interesting. Her birthday is today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if she, uh, if she watches and says anything. She, she, lives, she doesn't live here. Her specific birthday was on a Monday this specific year, and I remember Monday we couldn't take her out, and so the whole staff got together on Tuesday, we took her out for lunch. But I remember specifically on Thursday, her asking me what we were doing today to celebrate her birthday. And the interesting thing is we laugh about that and we think about how funny that might be, but this, this, this reality of what celebration is, it, it's not temporal. It's not something we just do for a time. It's not something we just celebrate on one day. You know, there, there are many people that say, okay, it's Easter or it's Christmas. It's the time to go to church. Or it's the time to celebrate what God has done, the way that he's moved. No, God has this, this way of recognizing and, and empowering us to celebrate him every single day. Your mercies are new every single day. God is present and moving and transforming every single day in our life. And there's this cycle of celebration that takes place as we look at our lives, as we look at how God has, has moved us, has, has transformed us. And I borrowed this image off of the, off of, uh, the internet because it, it, it illustrates this desire so well. So if you see in the middle of the circle that it's split into two, there's the, the top and the bottom. The top is the story of Jesus. And the story of Jesus is indicated, there's months on the outside starting in December, and this is just the way that our calendar is set up, December through May, and you'll see there, the story of Jesus starts with that anticipation, that advent, that, that, that season that we walk through leading up to the birth of Jesus, that moment, or those, those moments of, 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 man, I can't wait for the Messiah to come, I can't wait for this celebration of Jesus, 
It then moves into incarnation, which is Christmas itself. That's when Jesus became a human being. That's when God became a human being in the person of Jesus here on earth. It then moves into uh, the epiphany, and this is the revelation. This is the ministry of Jesus. This is him walking through and showing us how to live, giving teaching, bringing forth opportunity for provision through miracles and all the things that he does. Then it comes to this place of the crucifixion, and that's when Jesus did his final work. That's when he did this, this final act of the last part of his ministry, which was dying for us, dying for you and for me, being crucified as the one who took on all sin so that we might experience real and, and lasting change, so that he might be the, the one true, the only sacrifice that will ever be needed. And then next our, uh, the, the, the greatest miracle that he ever committed, the greatest miracle that he ever engaged in him is, is the resurrection. It's Easter. It's that moment when he rose, when he became life once again, when he came into this world. And then finally, ascension, the Pentecost moment when, when Jesus ascended into heaven, where he sits now, ascended into heaven, and the Holy Spirit came to be with us. And then you see this bottom half of it. So there's half of the work, and I would say that, 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 that that's a little bit uneven because God does a little bit more than half of the work in our lives, and if you're a believer, you know that to be true. So there's half of the, the other half, the other half in the middle, it says the story of the people of God, and the recognition there is ordinary time, and the thing about ordinary time is this, that is the response that is the response that we are to have to what God has done. And that stuff on the top that I just went through real quickly is an amazing feat to recognize the way that God has, has engaged us, the way that God has loved us, the way that God has provided for us. And that bottom half in all that we do and the response that we have to the gospel and the response that we have to his love and his mercy is all encompassed in and flows out of a posture and, a, and, a, and an action of celebration. Ordinary time to me, and hopefully you can recognize this too, is anything but ordinary. I know it's titled that because there's not a bunch of things going on, but ordinary time is simply a time for us to grow, to learn, to become more like Jesus, and to celebrate what he has done and what he continues to do in our lives. God created this cycle. He lived it, and we at the same time engage in it as well. That first point on your note guide is this. God is the author and the enabler of celebration. God is the one who has brought an opportunity for us to be able to experience celebration because he brought it into the world. Without celebration in the world, we can't engage in it. We can't live in it. We can't experience it. We celebrate in response to what he's done. We celebrate through the power and the joy that he has granted to us. Today we're going to explore specifically an example of celebration. We're going to explore specifically a teaching of celebration that comes from the Apostle Paul. And it's, uh, I think it's appropriate that we, we engage in this writing because the Apostle Paul has kind of been interwoven throughout these spiritual disciplines, often because he either practiced them or was the, the one that, that, that generated them for the first time as God has placed it on his heart. But the Apostle Paul's writing this letter to his friends, to a church to which he loves the people who live there. He, he wants to, to share the truth with them. He wants them to experience God afresh and anew. And he wants to ex them to experience God in a deeper way, deeper than just going through the practices or going through the motions. He wants them to celebrate God. He didn't want them just to show up to church. He wasn't, doesn't want them just to have their Bible with them. He doesn't want them just to, to wear the name Christian. He wants them to celebrate, to live a joyous life. 
We're going to read specifically from chapter 4, and I'm going to walk through this. Uh, As we kind of walk through, we're going to take some specific points out. But this is an an amazing response as he's talking through what it means to be, uh, to take on the, the, the posture of Jesus, what it means to live a life that honors God. He stops and he pauses in this moment to recognize it's not just about action. It's not just about doing the right things, but it's about this inward focus that has an outward impact through celebration. In his letter, chapter 4, verse, starting in verse 4, it reads like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. As he writes this letter, he's, he's, he's bringing forth, and, and I love the exclamation there, he's bringing forth this desire for them not just to follow the elements, not just to step forward and to do spiritual discipline, so to speak, but to do so with this understanding of the reality of the fact that celebration encompasses all things. This joy within is all of it. Verse 4 there, and I'll back up and I'm going to read through some of these. Verse 4 there actually says, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. And if I were to say this the the way that it's written there, I would scream into the mic and probably hurt your ears because there's an exclamation. But there's a response to that. There's There's a need for that. But here's the reality, and you and I both know this, it's hard to rejoice when you just lost your job. It's hard to rejoice when you just got a bad grade on a, on a test or some kind of uh, bad marks from a professor. It's hard to rejoice when your best friend was gossiping about you. It's hard to rejoice when, when your kids are, are rebelling. It's hard to rejoice in the storms of life. But the thing is there, Paul recognizes that in times, especially for the Philippians, the days that they're walking through, in times there will be difficulty. But he doesn't say rejoice in the good times. He says rejoice in the Lord always. And the point there is this, celebration is not circumstantial. We don't just celebrate in the good times. We don't just celebrate when everything is going well. We don't just celebrate when God's giving us a a, a bounty of all the things that we want or that we think we need. I know what you're thinking, the same thing I'm thinking. Always? Really? In every moment, how is it even possible to rejoice when you got a flat tire? How is it possible to rejoice when, when, when you just realize or you just found out that your child's pet died and you're like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? We've had that fish for three days. Celebrate under all kinds of circumstances, even suffering. And it's interesting that Paul mentions this because he actually doesn't just say it, but he lives it out. Paul and Silas are literally in prison. And while they're in prison, they're not sitting there sulking. I can't believe that we're here. 
I can't believe that we're, we're sitting in this place. We're trying to praise God and he turns his back on us. He lets us go to this place. He makes us go. We have to sit here chained up in prison for something we didn't do. And here he is sitting there in Acts chapter 16. And what the passage says is instead of sulking, they're singing. They're praying. They're thankful for God in the way that they can actually even suffer in his presence, in his way. Paul's no stranger to celebrating in the storm or in this case, celebrating in the cell. Instead, he calls for celebration because it's not circumstantial. And the implication is this, that it's a choice. Celebration is literally a choice. Celebration is something that we choose to do, something that we engage in. Anybody here ever gone to a holiday, maybe a family or friends, and you had to choose to celebrate? Sometimes it's hard to be around family. Sometimes it's hard to go and to, and to kind of re, you know, get, reacclimate into an environment where you haven't been with them for a while. And some of those dynamics from when you were younger, some of those dynamics that are maybe even new to kind of come in. You know, so maybe a political disagreement you might have or have had in the past resurfaces again. Or maybe on the other end, it's time for a, a holiday, a time for a birthday. And, and there's this reminder of the fact that that one person's not sitting around the table anymore. That one person that you, you lost this year or the last couple of years and all of a sudden you think about how difficult that is, it's hard to celebrate. It's hard to celebrate the, the fact that, that there are things that we are supposed to sit down and be excited about, but at the same time there is real life happening every single day. But Paul says we need to celebrate because it's not circumstantial. We need to do so. It is a choice that we have. And if we were to stop there in the passage, we might think, wow, that's really, that's really difficult. It's really insincere. That's really hard to swallow. Why would we want to just choose to celebrate? Well, that's why Scripture doesn't stop there. It continues with the author. This big bonus thought I just want to mention for just a moment. It's easy, it's easy to want an outcome and to make our life better. It's hard to make the decisions, though, that bring us to a place to make that happen. And as verse 5 continues, it says, let your gentleness be evident to all, meaning that there is a response if you want to bring forth celebration. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Paul is pointing the readers and pointing us back to the reality that no, celebration doesn't just come easily, but when we bring it before God, we engage once again in his power. And then in verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the point is this, celebration puts on a posture of Jesus. Celebration puts on a posture of, of Jesus, recognizing just as we talked about in that cycle that there was a moment where Jesus in that cycle of celebration was actually being crucified, actually being killed, actually being deceived and, and, and turned on by, by one of his own disciples and then those that should have been supportive of him. And instead he found himself in a place where he lost his life after a beating, after pain, after not just a physical beating, but also the, the emotional and, and, and the mental abuse that he had to suffer but still in celebration. And the celebration came as this evidence where it says, do not be anxious, excuse me, let your gentleness be evident, this gentleness that he had in his life. Not to lash out at the, the issues that were around him. Also this recognition of things eternal. The Lord is near. Now we don't know when God's going to return. 
But we do know this, that the next great event in salvation history, when we extend that cycle one last time, the next great event is Christ's return. Is that amazing? We're kind of living in that same place, that, that initial start, that, that, that part where we're kind of in this place of anticipation, right? But we're living in a place where we know that God is going to return. We know that Jesus is going to return. And the, the reality of that should bring forth a, a, just an outpouring of celebration, of joy in our lives. God's vantage point, a, a thousand years is like a day. And so for him, this recognition of it doesn't matter if it happens today, tonight, or maybe even a uh, hundred years from now, we can be in celebration mode because of the fact that we know that he will return. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Anxiousness is interesting because sometimes we look at it and we say, well, you know, woe is me. And we make ourselves the, 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 the victim in the situation. But actually, anxiousness does a, a very negative thing. It, it points us towards being self-centered. It points us towards this counterproductive worry that causes us to, to focus on the things of self or the things of this world rather than the things of God. Anxiousness is, is, is not about legitimate care or concern or spreading the gospel, but instead anxiousness is about pointing it towards ourselves. Anxiety and prayer together are, are great opposing forces within the Christian experience. Because anxiety says, let me try to figure this out. Let me, let me focus on this. Let me be worried about this. Let me, let me sit in this. Prayer says, God, I want your power in all of it. And certainly I recognize that, that, that anxiety is not just an easy flip it off switch. I recognize that it's not something you can just walk away from. But certainly there is a first response. And that first response can always be to go to the giver, the one who loves us, the one who grants us his gift. And while it might be difficult to be joyful in moments of, of expression or experiencing of anxiety, God will still be present. God will still be there to hear you. God will still be there to be able to give you his comfort his peace. In fact, verse 7, the peace of God is not a state of mind, but based on inner peace resulting in God's provision and forgiveness, transcending all understanding. The opposite of anxiety is, is the tranquility that comes from the believer commit, when the believer commits all cares to God in prayer. We commit all things to God in prayer. We recognize our place, that we are merely the creation and the creator of all has got this. The creator of all has got this. I, I was just talking yesterday to the men's Bible study group that meets uh, on the last Sundays or last Saturday of every month. And I was sharing this short, small little illustration. I'm just going to kind of do the same thing here. My, my, one of my kids, whenever we go into a busy parking lot, whenever we're going to cross the road, I always grab uh, his hand. I say, okay, you're going to hold my hand as we walk this. And what I've recognized, the older he gets, the more he kind of just holds lightly. The more he kind of slides away, the more he kind of rejects that holding of the hand. And I think to myself, okay, there's only so many more times that I'm going to be able to do this before he's like, no, we're not doing that anymore. I'm big enough. I can do this myself. But it wasn't too long ago that we walked into a pretty busy room and there was a lot going on. There were people all over the place and I was just walking along and I felt this little hand just go into mine. And I thought to myself for just a moment, okay, I'm going to bring you just this, this sense of, 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 of courage, this sense of just being able to, be, to feel peace and to feel comfort. And I recognize this, that God does that same thing for us. And sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we say, God, I got this. 
God, it's not that big. God, I can do this on my own. And he's always standing there with that hand out saying, no, let me give you the real peace that passes all understanding. Let me bring you a sense of comfort that you will never experience trying to trudge across this road or on this journey on your own. And we can slip our hand right into his because he's always there to receive us. We can give him that anxiety. We can give him that stress. We can give him that pain or that loss or that worry or whatever it might be. And he can say, I can bring you joy. Jesus lived this out. In fact, in, in, the, in the passages that recognize the betrayal and the crucifixion, Jesus is literally praising God. And the implication is simple. It's very simple. Live like Jesus. Live like Jesus, the one who loved the Father even in the midst of the storm, the one who held and grasped the hand of the Father even in the midst of what he would see as a betrayal. Live like Jesus. And then finally, verse 8 and 9, Paul sees fit to address brothers and sisters directly. Whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent whatever, or praiseworthy, think about such things. And that's a sermon in and of itself right there, verse 8. But the reality of, of, of looking at the things in life that we allow to fill our, our mental uh, space, the things that we allow to fill ourselves, are they noble, are they right, are they admirable, are they pure, are they lovely? Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul understood the influence of one's thoughts and the thoughts that we have in our life and the fact that the things that we think are often going to have an impact to come out in our words and our actions. Think on such things was followed by put into practice because he knew that's what would take place. Naturally, it does take place that the things that we think about do have an outcome. Wholesome thought patterns, the, the, the things in life that bring forth moral excellence and spiritual excellence. Think and do. It's interesting, too, that he notes the things that you've seen in me in verse 9. The, the joy that he revealed in his life, the joy that he lived out was important enough to be able to say, when you see these things in me, live this way. Because you and I both know that practical examples are very helpful rather than just simply throwing out things and saying, okay, good luck, live this way. But instead, Paul says, here's how I've lived. And that third point is, is simply this. Celebration is the holistic manifestation and visual outcome of joy. It's the outcome of all the things in our life. And it's holistic because of the fact that it's not just something that we see. It's not just something that's outward, but instead it's part of who we are. It's our minds. It's our hearts. It's our, it's our emotions. It's our relationships. It's how we invest our time. It's how we invest our talent. It's how we invest our treasure. All that we are is a manifestation of the outcome of joy in our lives. But it doesn't just happen. Instead, joy is the motor that keeps things going. Joy is the only thing, is only produced specifically in one way. The implication is this. It's, it, to experience joy, we need to seek obedience. 
Perhaps you remember last week, I came up here, I had this backpack on, and I had these different things that were in there. And perhaps for you, you took something, maybe figuratively or literally, out of your backpack. And you said, I'm not going to carry this anymore. I'm not going to hold on to this anymore. I've been holding on to bitterness, or I've been holding on to pride, or I've been holding on to, you know, whatever it might be. And you put that down at the foot of the cross. And for whatever reason, you found yourself, maybe by Tuesday or Wednesday, carrying something around again. You know, how'd that get there again? And maybe, maybe the, the, the response was, man, I'm never going to figure this out. That's it. I've screwed up again. That's it. Or maybe on the other end, you said, I'm just going to put this back down at the foot of the cross. Let me just tell you, God's call is for us to be obedient. And he recognizes there are going to be times when we don't always follow what he has for us. But that obedience has a response in all cases, meaning that when you pick it back up or when you realize you've picked it back up, the response is simple. Put it back down. Don't carry around that baggage. Don't carry around those things. Instead, step forward. Joy is found in the obedience. Joy is not going to be found by switching jobs or switching churches or switching schools or switching spouses. That's not how it works. Because that that same issue will follow you into your next relationship, into your next job, into all those things. It's still in that backpack. You are still the common denominator. And so the obedience that's required for joy is for you to put that down and to follow God wholeheartedly. Obedience must be the catalyst for change. If joy is found in obedience, the recognition is this, that that joy is the outcome, the spring from celebration. The the, the reality is that in some ways, this this simple cause, this simple thing is the cause and effect of, of all other successes when it comes to spiritual disciplines. Sometimes you might pray. Sometimes you might engage in in fasting. Sometimes you might engage in in giving or you might engage in song. You might engage in all these different ways. And for whatever reason, you just feel hollow. You feel like nothing happened. You feel like it was just you by yourself just kind of going through the motions. But the underlying current of what Paul's attempting to try to communicate here is it's not simply about the action itself, but it's about this reality that God wants to fill us with something greater, with his joy. Celebration at the end of the series for one reason, because joy is the end result, not just the beginning, but the end result of all spiritual disciplines. And finally, exuberant celebration is the catalyst for and the result of God's work in the life of the believer. Perhaps you didn't raise your hand earlier when I asked if you celebrated something in your life or you even celebrated something this week. Let me just tell you, there is a lot to celebrate. A lot of it has to do with perspective. Maybe for a while you've been looking on such things that are not, are, that are not pure or noble or holy. You've been focusing on the things of the world. You've been focusing on the downside. And what God has attempted to try to ex- express here through the writings of Paul is to think about the things of God to bring forth an opportunity to experience joy. Fill your heart. Fill your mind with the things of God. You know, I look at the things coming up. I'm excited about our kickoff. I'm so excited about the, the new groups and the, and the existing groups. I'm excited about our kids filling the building again on Sunday nights. I'm excited about all the stuff that God is literally doing in our midst right now. But I'm also excited about the small things, about the fact that we have, we have breath in our bodies right now. We are alive. I'm excited about the relationships that we have. I'm excited about the way that God is continuing to to bring forth an opportunity for us to be able to to, to go into our community and to be a kingdom force in in our schools, in our workplace, in our homes, in our society. We have the opportunity. I'm so excited about that. 
There's so much to celebrate. Let us not get bogged down on the discouraging things of life. Let us recognize the 90 years that this church has been in existence and express the, the, the reality that God has continued to bless every step of the way. Let us engage in birthday week, birthday month, birthday year, birthday life. Let us celebrate together the moments that we have. Let us celebrate the life that we have. Let us celebrate the season and what we have. And may this not be, may this be anything but ordinary time for us. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.